there's resist, which is, uh, this is a national. Oh, so also the radical cheerleaders were national. I should mention that in 2004, around the time of the RNC, we also had a radical cheerleader national convention in DC, um, which was fucking amazing and like one of the best days of my life, (laughs) even though we got tear gassed and a couple people from Detroit got their heads bashed in. It was pretty intense, but it was amazing. There were like thousands of cheerleaders and anyway, so resist, um, are, <laughs> I have to do it. You have to do it. Okay. So let's see if I can remember. R for revolution. E for everybody. S subvert the system. I ignite debate. S we're going to smash the state. T we're going to tear it down. Resist, resist, raise up your fist, resist, resist, we know you are pissed, resist, resist, fight the capitalists, resist, resist. (laughs) I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's so hard to Welcome to Never Forget Radio, where, from the comfort of your own home or your device, and from the safety of the future, we can revisit the memory of 9-11, of George W. Bush, and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. Welcome to part one of an interview in oral history with activist and friend of Never Forget Radio, Emily Friedman. On her experience as a 16-year-old protesting the 2004 Republican National Convention in Manhattan, as a member of the group called the Radical Cheerleaders. You can find more of her writing at femaletroubles.tumblr, where her tagline is culture, feminism, feelings, all the things you want. The Republican Party held their convention to renominate George W. Bush for president in New York. Only a couple weeks before the third anniversary of the attacks, thousands of Republican delegates flooded the city. Hundreds of thousands protested and thousands of more were arrested. The NYPD was out there in the streets protecting Bush and Cheney, John McCain, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Rick Santorum, Bloomberg, Giuliani, Bernie Carrick, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and many other speakers from Dangerous Anarchists like Emily. The rest of the episode is just going to be her story, which will not be completed today. Because just her story, just one activist story of this major political convention, which was just a small part of a presidential campaign, which was just a small part of the post-9-11 story, even just one person's story is going to fill more than one episode of this podcast. There are all kinds of ways to tell history, to do history. Or you could even say ways to history. Also, this episode is being released on the ninth anniversary of this particular Republican National Convention, 
which was held at Madison Square Garden in Manhattan on August 30th to September 2nd, 2004. Besides the 50th anniversary of the March in Washington, this week is also the 8th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which I guess we'll get some articles about in 2015. Our next episode will also deal with a certain anniversary, the unique violent event that we cling to, even though, of course, every day on the calendar is the anniversary of some act of American belligerence. Anniversaries come and go, but we stay rooted in the post-9-11 present. There's a Richard Powers quote from his World War I novel, Three Farmers on the Way to a Dance, that I think about a lot. History is an occupying army, and we are all collaborators. And for me, this means that the weight of history is a passive influence in our lives. But we reify it and reinsure its meanings, and the victories of the victors are renewed by our actions and non-actions. And our collaboration, not only with the regimes that rule over us, but with their past that they give us to reify. The whole saga you're going to hear about today at best gets a sentence in an official history or likely isn't mentioned or recorded at all. Also, since you and I collaborate with the ruling regime every day, if you'd additionally like to collaborate with this podcast, you can find us at Never Forget Radio at Gmail, Facebook, or Tumblr. And never forget Pod on Twitter. This is the first interview that I conducted at the helm of Never Forget Radio. And I want to say that this program wants and needs to feature other voices of different experience besides mine in order to be a responsible and ultimately to try to live up to the concepts of feminism and anti-racism that I strive towards. And so I'm going to say again that as a white male American, I'd like to be a good ally and not white-splain and man-splain so much, and to feature voices of many different experiences. And so here's Emily to tell us about the radical cheerleaders in New York, the RNC, in 2004. Okay. I'm Emily Friedman. I'm a feminist and anti-prison activist in New York City. The radical cheerleaders are, were, a radical, well, not radical feminists, but they were, <laughs> they were a radical anarchist feminist group <laughs> that was sort of born out of Riot Girl um, in that it had this po- these politics of like inclusion, like girl inclusion and like a cultural response to a horrible culture, like participating in the culture by creating its own culture. Well, there were several ways to define what we did. We were cheerleaders, so we would go to protests and cheer on protests. Uh, We were also a lot of varying gender, age, race, body type, so it was interesting to, like, reclaim cheerleading as something that's inclusive um and I really enjoyed that and that was so important to me in terms of how I like feel about my body to this day I think that that is the thing that is responsible for anti-brainwashing me um and it was Um, So we would write cheers, and so it was also a way to collaborate with people um, and talk about politics and ideas, and usually we had a practice or two uh, 
we had like one to two practices a week. So we'd meet at someone's house, vegan potluck every time, eat, discuss politics, discuss what protests were happening. New York was different. (laughs) So this was the winter of 2002. Um, And there were a lot of protest groups and there was a lot happening. Um, I started high school and started organizing in my high school pretty much immediately. Uh, So I had, I worked for the Gay Straight Alliance and I worked for uh, the Radical Students Youth Group (laughs) that I started. Um, that was me and someone I went to middle school with and we like recruited throughout the school and there was about 10 members. Um, and we organized with them. I organized a lot through my school and, and using the platform of the radical cheerleaders, I organized walkout. There was also not in our name, which I used to organize with and, um, now the national organization for women, um, so, but there was always protests and there was a lot going on and protests and actions and educationals and screenings and it was all over the city and it was all over spaces that were people's houses. There was blue stockings. There was ABC No Rio. There was a lot of space for this to exist. The basement of my high school, LaGuardia, we showed screenings like every week. Um, and it just sort of was like kinetic in that we could connect. Uh, on so many different issues and it wasn't exclusive to your politics and I sort of was able to firm up my politics in that time um, of also growing up. I was 14. So, so yeah, so the Radical Cheerleaders, the practices started with a potluck and then we'd talk about protests and what was going on that week and who wanted to do it. So there were lots of people with lots of different agendas um, and interests so they would talk about events or actions that they wanted to participate in and we would write cheers for that collaborating the cheerleaders sort of came out of riot girl in that it it had elements of punk in it for sure um and it was specifically really non-gender conforming which i had only ever been a exposed to through Riot Girl music and through like zines that I had sent away for because this was in 2002 so you could still do that. There were like old AOL websites that were still up with addresses that you could send a dollar in an envelope and get a zine back. I think that ended around 2002 or 2003. Um, But you know so I would say it was connected to Riot Girl. It was also um It really, the politics, I would say, were mostly, like, anarchist, feminist, and pro-sex politics. So we talked a lot about gender and our bodies and uh, sex. And a lot of the people that I cheerleaded with were sex workers. It just sort of broadened my whole perspective. We would read things and talk about them. We would, it was just constant in like talking and in talking to each other and creating art and creating like a space that's you know I don't want to say safe space but it was a space that was like safe to talk about whatever you wanted to and also at this time like I was being 
drawn out from a really depressed place and and helped me be able to talk about my experiences with these other people who all accepted me and it was really the opposite of the experience I was having in high school which I was constantly being treated like a crazy person um I was making art that I considered to be feminist art. I, was, I went to LaGuardia for art, and I got suspended, like, three times. Um, I didn't really make any friends the whole time I was there. I was teased mercilessly. Uh, it was just... And I had had that experience, like, pretty much throughout my life everywhere. And all of a sudden, here was, like, a group of people who were totally accepting and encouraging and, like, helped me create and think and write and read and talk, which was awesome. (laughs) So that summer, the summer of the RNC was huge in New York for activism. Um, There was, like, a protest every week leading up to it. A lot of different groups were collaborating. Um, I had organized with my school a lot and had, like, probably about 60 to 100 students that I had on, like, a listserv, a Rise Up listserv that I organized with. Um, During that summer, we collaborated with Billionaires for Bush um, quite often. We collaborated with Not In Our Name and Now, for sure. Um, we did work with P-O-N-Y, which was a sex workers' rights organization. Um, and there was just so much going on. Jessica and I did burlesque together with the Red Hots Burlesque. And we opened a La Tigre show with Bands Against Bush. Um, it was... Oh, we... Uh, at the opening for the Yes Men's film... That summer, we uh, <laughs> we did a cheer to welcome them. We had been organizing for the RNC all summer. It was, a, you know, we were... Part of our collaboration with everyone was to sort of make sure that New York City was a place of action when this happened. And there were actions everywhere. Um, so there was a, a text message service that someone had organized where every you would just text can I have the details to this and you'd get a response back for all the unpermitted marches and protests and any sort of other action um I mean there there was so much I remember that week when the delegates were checking into the Marriott in on 42nd street we held a queer kiss-in right outside and it was, like, 400 queers, like, making out with each other. Um, and that was fun in all sorts of ways. And we blocked traffic at one point. Um, we just lay down in the middle of the street. There was just, like, it was it was a, a massive week of action. Everyone was, a lot of people were coming to New York City. I housed, I think, like, 14 cheerleaders in my parents' house. <laughs> that weekend um, or that week there were so many people in town um, so some of them were staying every cheerleader housed at least 10 people there were also people staying at the St. Mark's Church um, 
that was like a huge activist hub for people that were visiting from or like coming uh, to protest uh, from out of town. And everyone met and ate and met each other. And it was like this totally magical thing. Then we all taught each other cheers because uh, every troop had their own cheers. And there were national ones like Resist, but... And there was also a website where we posted all of them, another Rise Up website. There was basically at least 12 actions a day. Uh, and it, we started all of our days early at like 8 in the morning. Uh, and either from the listserv or from the text message service, there would be, you know, 12 actions to pick from first thing in the morning. And you'd go to whatever you wanted to and you were bound to find 100 cheerleaders there. Bush was speaking on Thursday. Tuesday was Civil Disobedience Day. Okay, we started in Bryant Park, and we blocked traffic in Bryant Park, and we marched down to Union Square. And at that point, we were all making plans. Oh, we should go to this, like, great vegan diner. (laughs) Because, you know, we were hungry. And as we were, like, making these plans, the cops sort of just showed up and started pushing people down different side streets. Um, And there were thousands of people in this park. Like, it was really packed. So I was pushed onto 16th Street between Irving Place and uh, Union Square East. And there were probably, like, 300 people on that block. They told us to disperse. When we got to the end of the block, I had separated with a lot of the other people that I was with. I was just with this girl, Sarah, who was staying at my house. We were pushed down that street, and... The Irving place was barricaded, and the cops were like, you know, go, please disperse. So we went the other way. The other side was barricaded, and they had us on that street. I made three phone calls. Um, I called Jessica and Sherry, who both cheerleaders, saying, we've just been arrested. We're on this block. This is what's happening. And I called my parents and left a message. And... Yeah, so we were kind of, like, hanging out on this street for, this is probably, like, six, and it was nighttime by the time the city buses came to take us. Um, I, like, made friends with all of my, like, neighboring people. One of them was this woman who was visiting her son. She's from India. She was visiting her son from India. She had never been to America. She was going from a bookstore to Union Square and ended up on this street. So she was, and they wouldn't let her go. Uh, She was older. She was probably in her 60s or 70s. Um, And there were a lot of people like that, accidental people who were walking down a city street because, yes, there were people on the street when this happened. Um, The cops were being really aggressive and they wouldn't tell us where we were going or what was going on. And so anyway, me and Sarah were sitting on the sidewalk for about like, I'd probably say like five or six hours. The funny thing about what happened was the protest was over. (laughs) Like we were done. We were all like trying to figure out other plans of what we were going to do that evening. Um, and most of the plan was, oh, we should watch movies in ho- at home because Bush is coming on Thursday and we should be rested for that. 
Uh, so we were really planning on having like a movie night, and uh, so there was no there was no civil disobedience. We when they told us to get on the sidewalk, we were on the sidewalk. Eventually, all of our cases were dismissed because the cases against us because there were videos of us on the sidewalk. Um, so there was absolutely no protesting going on, which is, you know, I mean, okay, so the cops were in riot gear. Uh, I was wearing my cheerleading outfit, so I had a black tutu with pink lace and fishnets and a bra and pom-poms, and I had my pink hair and pigtails, and my pom-poms were made out of uh, newspaper and these red bags that Jessica got that were so cool, and, oh, and my pink Converse, and that was my uniform. First, we all got handcuffed with these, like, plastic handcuffs behind our backs, um, in, like, a very aggressive way. And it was really painful, and they were cutting into our, all of our skin. It was actually very painful. Um, and we were sat on these buses. So the cop that I was sitting, like, who was guarding me while I was sitting on this bus, was probably, like, 22. And I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you doing this? And like eventually like got him to talk to me a little bit. And I was like, do you really think this is like, okay, like we're just trying to like, whatever. I mean, it was like a conversation that I'll just always remember because we were both just like, we are doing our jobs. (laughs) And it felt really dispassionate. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, wouldn't you rather be protesting? Like, wouldn't you rather be in the streets with your friends? Like, we were just about to go get veggie burgers. Wouldn't you rather come with us? And he was definitely like, this is my job. I'm sorry this is happening. This is my job. And I was like, that sucks. It's a bad job. You shouldn't do it. Um, So that was that conversation. They also, they had arrested, that day they had arrested... We were, there were three 16th Street arrests, one on one side of, on both sides of uh, Union Square. There was another on 14th Street. There was, like, one in Bryant Park. There was one downtown by the Battery. So it was everywhere. They just decided to arrest everyone. The, The way that it was set up was obviously to make sure that we weren't there when Bush spoke. We were taken to a holding cell or holding area for two days. And then once we were in central bookings, it took another three days to let us go, which is like, yeah, it was five days. Um, And the RNC was over when we got out. And I mean, there's nothing more obvious than that. Emily Friedman's experience in detention will continue in part two of this edited interview. I want to thank her again. I met Emily the year after the RNC in 2005. We failed out of college together, and I'm glad that we've been close friends ever since. Again, you can find her writing at femaletroubles.tumblr. Culture, feminism, feeling. 
all the things you want. The background song for this episode is called Invest in Plastic Handcuffs. It's by No One and the Somebodies. Theme songs by Old Table. Thanks to them and all of our other collaborators. And again, if you'd like to join these people and collaborate with Never Forget Radio, and by collaborate, I mean reveal the names of your associates and return to safe passage to Lisbon under letters of transit. You can find us at Never Forget Radio on iTunes, Tumblr, Facebook, and Gmail, or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. And one more thank you to iTunes user ads and 89. That's 80s ampersand 89. Who wrote the show's first review on iTunes and gave it five stars. Thank you and never forget. <laughs>